0: From Chicago, welcome to 3Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast of one the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry.
1: We started out in our sort of part printing journey um, in 2019, and we've grown every year. Um, We've, we've made, you know, fantastic progress and all of the time we have been then feeding back to Japan our learnings, what the industry are asking for, what's our experience running machines, uh, what what we would expect.
0: That was Mark Dickin. Mark is an additive manufacturing and molding engineering manager at RICO. Mark has a background in mechanical engineering from Wolverhampton University and he has spent much of his career at RICO working with both traditional and additive manufacturing processes. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. And we can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Hey, Mark. Welcome to the show. Uh, excited for the conversation today. Um, I, we start with all our guests just to get some context on where they're from, where they grew up, and kind of what got them on the path of of where they are today. So um, let's start there. What um, Where did you grow up? Kind of, what was your
1: early life of of Mark looking like? Well, thank you, Mike. Yeah, great to be here. Anyway, um, by the way, early early life of, of Mark. Um, I grew up um, in a in a place called Shrewsbury um, in the um, in the in the UK. Um, so that that is in the Midlands area. Um, and my father, he, he was he is 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 a mechanical engineer worked at GKN um for many many years I think one of the longest service serving members about 40 odd years as a mechanical engineer so that's where I sort of got my interest for engineering from and um, tinkering with um, mechanical objects you know helping him we had we had this huge big orchard at home um, uh, and you know, I was chief lawnmower uh, operator, so I would be cutting the grass. I'd be repairing the mower. You know, it, it, in my childhood, it was you know I was in my element if I was tinkering with some mechanical object. So um, I think that's where my sort of passion for engineering has has come from through my through my father's roots. And uh, so
0: GKN GKN primarily aerospace. Is that for listeners who may not know, or kind of automotive? Um, what's what's their so- their primary market?
1: Yeah, in the UK, um, it was mainly automotive um, uh, he, he, in pressings, so working f- with, with Ford, with Toyota. So there was lots of travel for him in into China, the US, um, and, and Japan. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's really quite bizarre, actually. I, I'm actually following his path slowly, you know, bit by bit. You know, I'm, I'm traveling to Japan a lot. I'm going to the US and in, in, in into Germany so yeah it's really bizarre how things are sort of panning out but yeah the GKM's main focus in the uk was around um, uh, auto, the automotive but obviously now the you know aerospace and, and pot and, and metal powders etc they're a, they're a huge entity so you like kind of tinkering
0: taking things apart as you were growing up when did you kind of decide that that would be a kind of path you'd want to take on the academic side of things you have to kind of decide that pretty early
1: on in the the uk english system um this this is where i think you know the 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 education system sort of does fall down because i think you get to you know 16 in the uk and and you, you you you're given a choice it's you can either continue on to college and university or you go into industry um and At 16, do you really know what you really want to do? And it was a difficult time for me. Um, I knew that I was very easily influenced. And if I went to college and university, I would go on the partying route. Um, And I thought, no, I I need to earn a little bit of money, but also learn at the same time. That was my preferred learning style. So I applied uh, for uh, a number of technical apprenticeships. So I could get educated, I could learn, I could learn on the job, um, and I—I also—I got offered a job actually at GKN, working there uh, where my father w- it was at the time. But I thought, you know, I can't, I can't work w- with him, you know, be you know the the manager's son. I, I, that was not a, a sort of a pre- a, of a career path that I wanted. And then I got off the role at, um, at Rico, um, and it suited me better because it was it was four days working at the factory, and then one day, a day release um, at college. Um, uh, uh, and then there was there was two sorts of routes that we could take. You could take the technical route, um, which was, you know, going to essentially end up at, at as an engineer. And then there was a the craft route where it was a little bit more hands-on, a bit more maintenance. See, I was lucky enough to get the grades to push me onto the technical route. Um, and that's where I sort of started out. Um, you know, my my career at Rico. That's a really interesting I mean, it's is that a path that's still
0: promoted like even even today? I mean in the US, I think the kind of trades path kind of has been underemphasized, maybe like mm-hmm. it's coming back now, but I think the like getting that direct experience early on, whether you end up going more on the maintenance side or the engineering side, I think is just so valuable because I think one of my core beliefs and one of the reasons we do this podcast is like it's there's so many different career trajectories, things you can do in manufacturing that it's impossible for any one person to know what that is and what even that looks like without like it's hard, you can't read it in a book. Like it's you can't nah. maybe watch a YouTube video, but you don't get a sense until you're in in the thick of it
1: absolutely totally agree with you you know there's so, so many different facets of of manufacturing engineering that you would never know unless you're in that within the industry you know you're immersed it, in it rico traditionally we, we do have a fantastic apprenticeship uh, scheme um, still today um, and we take on anywhere between 8 and 10 apprentices a year um all about we still 16, have, 16 years old 16 17 is that, yeah. yeah well yeah it's mainly 16 may, mainly yes yeah, straight from school but we also have um uh sometimes taken on postgraduate um so uh the guys who are a little bit older have got maybe a couple of years of college um uh, under their belt and as well we can fast track those through the engineering route but traditionally you know we like to take them on straight from school um, you know you know raw ta- see, get the raw talent and then develop them through um through our engineering system we we have an engineering ladder which you have to have cert- spec- certain uh hit certain qualifications to actually progress through the ladder it's, it's quite a nice structure um that we have um and i think the, you know if we looked at our organization over half of the people in our organisation are now of, of in management roles have gone through the apprenticeship route, um, so you know, lo- time long time served. You know, I, I've worked at RICO now twenty three years, twenty third year, and it, it's a great place to learn. And um, you know, with, with especially now with with the cost of living. You know if, if if there's a company going to be paying for your degree and and your qualifications and, and getting paid for and learning you know with with industry professionals at the same time it's a fantastic place to be absolutely and i mean especially it
0: makes even sense for the companies too right because it's the the labor market is so hard right now if you're able to build your own pipeline and, and take care of your people and kind of have them grow with the company it it, it makes um, it's one of those long term
1: Type of investments on 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 the viability of the business. Yeah, yeah, totally agree, totally agree, and you know, especially with you know new technologies, where you know we're talking in the additive space, where you know there's not so many people available, you know, out there, and you know, trying to recruit talent is 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 tough. So you know, if you can grow your own, you know, I think you've got a valuable asset then. But then, you know. You do fall foul of that um, because they you may grow in this this person into you know a, a multi-skilled engineer who is very valuable yeah. <laughs> and and sought after in the market and command you know large uh, you know a big salary but you know you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't so that, that that's our approach and that's the approach I take with my team you know I, I want the young blood coming through. And so,
0: talk about some of those early days at Rico. What was um, what sorts of projects were you working on? I mean, maybe even take a, uh, a thirty thousand foot view of kind of what does Rico do in 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 the UK? Kind of what's its primary business? And I'm sure people have heard of Rico and think of printing, um, but I mean, it's a big business. So what yeah. what kind of the was the focus there?
1: Um, I, I think I'll start. I'll start with the. Um the sort of the helicopter view of Rico, and then go into the sort of the technicalities of the apprenticeship to start with um so, so Rico in the UK um well our business has changed immensely over the years um, back when I was doing my apprentice apprenticeship we we were the sole we are the sole supplier for Europe for toner consumables so um toner assemblies for your office printers um and, and sort of large format printers where you're looking at like magazine printing and in real industrial machines that was you know the and and, and toner we, we used to manufacture black toner um on site um for the european market and the majority of our work was pers- was sort of prescribed to us from Japan. So Japan would send us new products. We would localize new products and then deliver them to the European market. And and that was the case for many, many years and throughout, definitely throughout my apprenticeship. And we had the old traditional production lines where, you know, you had gangs of people standing on production lines, assembling uh, bracketries and building up photocopiers and w- w- like I said, we, we've changed over the years now to sort of, we still have our core business, which is toner consumables for the European market, but we're, we're also a business development site now, or seen as a business development site, as we have uh, an inkjet technology centre um, for Europe, um, you know, looking at... You know, Inkjet heads, uh, modules, print bars. Um, we've we've recently developed a you know a, a digital wallpaper uh, printing machine using Ricotech. Tech. Um, we have a customer experience center for our two D printing. So, you know, looking at uh, uh, garment printing, uh, pe- printed onto paper, printing onto all sorts of substrates. You know, looking at two and a half D printing and um, some you know f- phenomenal stuff like with, with foils as well and then we have of course the um, additive manufacturing center uh, which is a we have a customer experience center um, now uh, there for our print business which I'll, I'll, I will go into a bit more detail so that's how it looks sort of today and you know that work is not prescribed um, which is a good place to be um so you know it's, it's an exciting place to be going back to um the uh, sort of circling back to the s- sort of first part of your question in terms of the apprenticeship what what's so good about the rico apprenticeship um is that you we get exposure to all departments um so we have a the first year is spent traveling around every single department within the company um so you know going from a, a technical back from a, a technical apprenticeship you i would spend time in purchasing i would spend time with finance and i really understand how the company works so you get in, into the fabric um, of the company and understand how all the departments link and that for me Gave me a a fantastic overview of 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 how a business operates because these are the things you don't really learn at school, Um, and and that's why it was so so valuable for us to do that. And we've recently we we stopped doing that as as a business, and we we kind of we sent we started to send apprentices out to college for four days a week, then one day um, at site, and I help support the apprenticeship program now, and we've changed it back to how it was because I think it's far more powerful, more valuable for those young people to learn, you know, how a business operates, how the departments interact. Um, And that was really, you know, really for our apprenticeship, the standout thing for me was that, that sort of on-site, hands-on education, which you would not get, you know, from from a, a textbook or out of college. Yeah. You have to practice those relationships. You start, you know, the only
0: way you can see how kind of the, the emotional side of the business works is by being there. And so if you, mm-hmm. you start to get a sense of, okay, who do I need to talk to if I need this decision made, or if I need to find out about this. And, and that as, especially as you're, as a young, young person coming out, I always tell people this, that like, it's uh no one's ever going to knock you for asking a question, especially if you're young, if you're an apprentice. So like you get like carte blanche just to go up and talk to people, ask some questions and, and find out about it. And it's a it's a refreshing part of your career if you're if you kind of take advantage of that.
1: Yeah, totally. And, you know, especially when you, you know, you're know you're, you're straight out of school, speaking to the grownups, it, it's, it's daunting. Yeah. It re- it really is, and and that the softer skill side, which is equally as important, you know, as the sort of the academic skills, y- you know, they're difficult to teach, and you've got to you've got to go and you know sort of throw yourself in at the deep end. I believe in the, in the, those instances, and that you know that part of the techn- the apprenticeship program gave you that, you know, very very quickly. So um, yeah, very very very, you know. Worthwhile us keeping that into the into the into the program for the future. How was your
0: work-life balance during that time when you're kind of working and going to school and, mm. and trying
1: to figure that out? It was it was tough actually because uh, you know you, you can't uh, that at sixteen in, in I couldn't drive um, mm. so and I lived I lived in the sort of countryside uh, so I had to catch I had to get a lift to a bus station then I had to get the bus to work uh do, do, doing the actual the, a long day you know yeah. you know quarter past eight to quarter past five was our core hours um you know massive change from school uh and then doing the college the day release doing the 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 sort of assignment work we, we, yeah it was tough it was it, it, it really was um i'm actually i'm actually going back through that now i've just started my uh, msc so um, (laughs) it's all coming back to me and it's like what am i what have i done to myself yeah um but i think you've got to you've 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 got to be quite regimented with your time um and structure and i and i was i I like to work with structure um um but it was yeah it it it, it was it was manageable we we, you know we were all in the same boat um but um yeah good yeah good times
0: i remember playing baseball in college it was one of those things like during the season in the springtime like you're so busy you've got games that last five six hours so you have to be diligent with your time i was much more efficient in the springtime and probably got better grades in the springtime even though i was more busy (laughs) during that time yeah uh,
1: yeah i get that yeah absolutely yeah yeah because i I like to you know I, i play football i was um I was an amateur boxer. I I I, I boxed at uh, quite a high level, so I was trying to get my training in and you know um balance work uh, and time, but you know you managed to do it. So um but it, and it teaches you how to manage your time. So how many fights did you do? I had about 63. That's why wow. I've got, you know, this bit of bent nose um, going on here. So uh, yeah, I really really enjoyed it. Um and then I I've, I've, I stopped about 10 years ago and, I, and now I do CrossFit. So I need something competitive. So uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's important as well to have something outside of work like that. So you can, you know, really sort of switch your mind off and, and, and focus on something different. For sure. Absolutely. Um, so
0: kind of talk me through the kind of, decision that you ultimately made to to stay with Rico as you kind of finish the the apprenticeship and and kind of were, were in that transition time was there ever a doubt in your mind that you would stay there or did you ever consider kind of going elsewhere
1: um i think with with the apprenticeship because you the, the first couple of sort of couple of years you're moving around the department and then mm-hmm. you have we had uh, like three month stints in certain uh, departments where you would you know sort of have a small project get to know how mechanics of the department and then in the final year you would then sort of specialize um and because we had so much variety of, of work it was always interesting um so i i didn't really have any sort of inclination of leaving but the, but when you start your apprenticeship you're not guaranteed a job. They're they're very very clear um, at, at the outset. Said, right, you know, we will train you to to a sort of a, a higher national certificate in the day. That's what it was called in, in mechanical engineering, and then you know that that's our obligation to you. But if there's a job available or a role, um, yep, fantastic. But if there's not, you know, we'll help you with your with your CV and and help you get a job. So that that was it. Um, and and luckily enough there, there was a role for me um which, which I accepted but that yeah there was um it, it was always interesting it was you know the work has always you know it's not been we've never stagnated there's always something different um and that's what sort of kept me at rico for as long as I, as long as I've been there um so when did additive manufacturing come on your radar oh additive manufacturing so there's there's a bit of a story here um so w- when I came out, and I'll, ro- I'll, I'll roll back a little bit. So at end of my apprenticeship, there was a, a, an opportunity in our moulding department. Um, and at the time, we um, we had probably three or four injection moulding machines, one extrusion blow moulder. We were manufacturing about 10,000 parts um, a month for feet, for for our business. So really
0: quite small, like internal Uh, business, like you were doing like internal parts and things. That's right.
1: Yeah. 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 That's right. Yes. Um, so, you know, relatively small, really, um, low volume. Uh, And that was, you know, you would manage all the tooling, the the machines, the process, everything, you know, it was like a, it was like a very small startup business within a huge organization. So there was a role in, in, in that section as a process engineer, um, and as I said to you to, to start with, I like used to like to make things. I like to see you know something start to finish. So it kind of really sort of met um, what what I was looking for, so I accepted. Um, and we really really grew that area uh, of of molding into you know quite a huge business. So we 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 have now fourteen machine injection molder machines. We have four injection stretch blow machines and one extrusion blow molder. And we're producing five moldings a month now, so we we really did upscale um, over, over the last over the last ten years, um, and that is again manufacturing uh, products for internal use, but they would be obviously assembled and then sent to the European uh, our European customers. Um, so we had massive growth, and that was you know looking at tooling um, really improving our game having really high-end tool makers looking at machinery equipment we you know our target was always to be world-class um and we really did achieve well we have achieved that so i worked my way up through the ranks so i, I start then i um, I, don't know, I can't remember now probably maybe 10 or 12 years ago i headed up i he- i was promoting i head up the the, the molding area um, and then I would say in 2016, 2015, Rico sort of got involved into additive. I can remember being asked to go to um it was before Formnex. It was um, Euromold. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day. I, I couldn't actually make it one of my colleagues went, um, but I knew there was something coming. Uh, I could tell. Um and then Rico got into additive manufacturing in, two, in 2015 when we went to market with a large format SLS um, printer. But I wasn't involved in in additive at that stage. Um, we, we were actually struggling uh, with um, printability of our polypropylene. Um, back, I think it was 2016, and our managing director had said to me i done i had sort of done quite a lot of like design of experiments and Taguchi in in molding and he said look I, I need you to support a project in additive um looking at this polypropylene so we we you know we applied, uh, uh we did a doe study and I, I supported the guys and i haven't left since <laughs> um so it was you know it was it was for, for my md you know can you pop down for a day a week or so and then um I've ended up taking over the sort of the European operation uh, for Additive, and that was in around 2016 time. Um, so I, I look after the, now. I still retain the moulding, um, and and now the Additive. So we're fully immersed in the additive Rico's Additive business, which again is really exciting, you know. And, and we're not we're not we're we're really. Uh, try to develop that business now into um, something really exciting. It's an
0: interesting spot that Rico has from a market standpoint, because you you already make machinery, you make millions of parts through the molding piece mm. for internal use, so you have that manufacturing experience, and then also the materials and toners and and stuff that you make. So you have like the the three pieces of additive already. Kind of existing in in the business, and yes. and so as as the additive business, you have like you made the SLS sh- system, like you, mm. you manufactured a machine. You also have kind of this like is a um, center of excellence or kind of c- customer experience center where you you also make parts for people. Is that right? That's right.
1: Okay. So so the the large format machine, it wasn't actually um, uh, a RICO machine. It was it's, it's badged up and, and, and sold as a Ricoh uh, piece of equipment. And yeah, that, that came to market in 2016 um, and we, we stopped selling that in 2019. Um, and really, the, you know, that, that machine, it, it's a great machine, uh, but I, I, I think Ricoh were probably a little late to the market in, in additive and we were trying to play catch up. We didn't really fully understand you know, the machine at the time. And I think that's what led to sort of poor sales. Um, And I think if we knew what we know now, now back then we'd have made a a real success of it because it is a, it is a very, very good machine. Um, And we use, I think I have five of those now as part of the print service and they do not miss a beat Uh, printing polypropylene. Um, So we stopped selling that machine in 2019 and essentially Rico are a hardware maker, hardware manufacturer. And we did decide as, a, as an organization that, you know, we needed to do something in additive, but we're not sure what. Um, and in the background, we had been developing a metal system. Um, so like I mentioned in 2019, we stopped and we decided, right, let's let's start a print service. Let's stay present in the market still so we can still learn. We can still, you know, uh, interact with the industry while we decide what the best move is for us from a hardware perspective. And and we've learned so much. It has been a fantastic journey uh, through the print service. Um, We bought a HP machine, uh, MultiJet Fusion, running PA12. Uh, We bought a Farsoon machine, uh, 252. A high temperature machine, and we bought that because Rico were developing a uh, PBT material, so we wanted a high temperature machine. Uh, we bought a Voxeljet VX200, uh, the high speed sintering system, and that was mainly for um, R and D purposes. Uh, I have a we have a small, very small Snow White printer uh, for for. Um, so that's Enrico's Enrico's toy uh, for you know just ma- initial material characterization and, and and testing, and then we have five uh, Rico SLS machines um, and one Fortus uh, FDM four hundred and fifty. So we've got a quite a nice range of, of of machines, and that's what we started out with uh, with the print service. We we recruited marketing, um, a marketing resource as. We are all technically led. We had very, very little commercial support in all this. So it was a bunch of engineers, really, you know, crudely speaking, you know, running their own business. Um, So we we set up a new website and we started out in our sort of part printing journey um, in 2019. And we've grown every year. Um, we've we've made you know fantastic progress. And all of the time we have been then feeding back to Japan our learnings, what the industry are asking for, what's our experience running machines, um, what what we would expect. So it's been a great few years. Obviously, we had COVID in the middle of it, um, which was unfortunate, but we still managed to grow uh through through those times. Um and you know we are today. Um, you know, still, still, um, you know, growing on last year so far. So fingers crossed. We, you know, we'll continue in that vein. And then, um, at this, uh, probably twelve months ago, Rico announced that um, we would look to commercialise or would develop and commercialise metal binder jetting system uh, focused around initially. Printing aluminium, so we thought. You know, we know it's extremely challenging. So let us start. Let's do the hard one first. Um, um, so that 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 is what we are doing from a um, from a hardware development point of view. The, the development is being done in Japan, but we have identified now the European market as our primary market um, for for release. And we're currently setting up um a new a new experience customer experience center in the UK. Um so we can invite customers to come and see our technology. We have the the the, the main um metal technical team now located at Re- at Rico in Telford in the in the UK with me and my team. So we have direct sort of development um Uh, On 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 site, so you know it's been a it's been a fantastic again from a learning point of view for me and my team. There, you know, uh, you know, looking at see initially polymers um, and now metals for for the future. And what learnings can you take from
0: essentially running a service business very close to additive and Mm. kind of move that into into the the metal space? Is the idea to can sell machines and equipment or is it more to add this as part of your service offering and mm. kind of do like the stratasys direct manufacturing model and have a bunch of machines that kind of just print, uh, print, mm. print on demand. I mean, I think one of the, I'm always interested on, on this, especially with binder jet, cause it's not, you got the printer, but then the, the post-processing and heat treatment is, um, is not trivial in terms of either experience or or um, cost required,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that, it's still, it's still up in the air at the moment. Um, if if I'm honest, um, sure. essentially we, we we want to sell systems sure. uh, in, in the future, or, you know, or, or the technology in one way or or another, um, and we, we are looking at late 24, 25, probably to commercialize um, the system. But I, I believe that the way to start is offering a print service. Yeah. Um, let's get the interest in there. Um, uh, and you know, we are working with um, quite a few customers now with the technology to help us as well develop the technology, but also you know get a bit of a, um, a foot in the door with the with the customers. And the feedback of the uh, that we were receiving is you know is absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, the, the Japanese have done a great job so far on on. On, on developing the technology what I am looking at uh, you know from April probably next year the start of, of the financial year to, to have some form of print service um, it won't look like our polymer uh, print service in terms of you know please upload a part to our website sure. and we can print <laughs> I think we need to take it case by case um, but yeah, I think it it is the natural next step for us. Then you know, let's let's sort of open open it up um, to the industry, um, uh, and see where it goes. And I think the learnings that that we can take from the print service, mainly around sort of operate, you know, op- operation of equipment, um, is, is going to be key for us because I think we could develop a really really good robust automated needs to be automated system. You know, for our potential customers, you know, we see firsthand the problems that we have in terms of, you know, it is a, especially the powder-based process, a lot, you know, there's a lot of manual intervention. We we need to get away from that. We need a connected system, um, a connected manufacturing system. So um, that's what we will be targeting. And what
0: um, applications, so for potential customers out there who are, intrigued by binder jet or even the the technology as a whole what what's the sweet spot kind of what are the like what are the use cases where like yeah that's that's a no-brainer in terms of a part or is it part size production volume like what where where should people's heads be at in terms of making binder jet a a part of their decision making process
1: Mm. yeah good question um i think that that's What we're looking at at the moment is we are targeting um, heat sinks or heat exchanger type parts because we are able to print, you know, very, very fine detail um, uh, from our aluminium parts. Um, We've also developed um, uh, a method of removing powder from really, really complex geometry, which, you know, again, is is. It is part of, you know, one of the sort of the pitfalls of the process. You have to get that powder out. Um, and we have developed a system that's, that's, that is it's, it's totally automated um, and works very, very well. So uh, initially, um, we are looking at, he- at heat exchangers, as we have a, a, the material we're focused on is an aluminium silicon. But we're also developing um, an aluminium uh, silicon magnesium for more structural applications. Um, So we are starting to look at uh, other applications, you know, more structural um, as as the next step. But initially, that is our our sort of area of focus in terms of heat exchanges and sort of thermal transfer. And that's so, yeah. Sure. In
0: addition to the... uh You've got the polymers business, you've got this binder jet kind of bubbling to the top. Uh, I see Enrico posting all the time about all your work with Impossible Objects and carbon composites. So that's in, in the portfolio as well in
1: terms of, of close partnerships. Yeah, yeah. Now this the, Again, I think this is a really exciting area um, of, of our print service. Um, so we've, we've formed a, a collaboration a partnership um, with Impossible Objects um, where... We are a se- essentially a sales front for, for them in the European market for, for, for components. Um, and as you know, the, the, the parts that the guys at Impossible Objects are producing are absolutely phenomenal um, in terms of quality um, and, and overall strength. And what initially surprised me was the actual the low cost um, parts to manufacturing peak material um so we are again taking on a, a bit of a business development role um it's another one of the hats that we wear in terms of we're trying to develop the business um in europe for uh, 3d printed powder based composites we've just released a white paper actually uh, that was a good um uh, in, in combination with impossible objects looking at um at their technology use cases um and i see lots and lots of synergies between Rico and impossible objects you know with inkjet heads inks materials um, machinery um, you know like vision etc and yeah we're working very very closely with the guys in in, in uh, at impossible objects to develop that area of, of, of the business um, which is again really really exciting we'll be displaying a lot of their parts uh, at form but again, it's where we struggle is, is talking when we when we talk to the industry in terms of educating people about what's possible. Um and I think we, you know, we see a lot of the posts, as you've mentioned from Enrico, and that's what he's doing, It's just trying to create awareness. And I think that that is what we're doing, and then hopefully when you will get wider adoption of, of of the technology, but it's in my strategy for Rico to bring uh, an Impossible Object C band machine over to the UK. I just need to build up enough of the business to do to justify that investment. But that is f- it's firmly in my um, in my sights to do so.
0: This sounds awesome in terms of all the cool stuff you get to do on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> you get some engineering, you're starting a business, you're starting building machines. There's all this material stuff, so it's uh, sounds like a great place to work.
1: Yeah, it's it's really diverse, and there's, there's one area that I've I've probably not I've not touched on is Rico. Also, um, we're we're looking at at dental printing as well. Um, you know, using again. Inkjet, inkjet, um, which our technology, uh, our heads, uh, Rico developed materials. Um, looking at um, a, a disruptive model for um, for printing teeth, and we would look to we are looking at setting up um, an area again in the in the UK to supply the European market. Uh, initially looking at, at resin. Uh, at, at polymer-based teeth but then also looking at at sort of ceramics in in, in the future so um, again you know that that's another area of development that rico are working on uh, which would be it would be you know extremely exciting for us but it's it's very early days there yeah uh, certainly a lot of stuff to keep you keep you busy
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> eight hour yeah, night.
1: absolutely. Yeah, really diverse, really diverse. And then we've got a new molding project at the moment. So we're, we're yeah, we're, yeah, we are. Um, again, we're, we're achieving a lot from a very, very small team. That's awesome. So just
0: a couple of kind of more fun questions, I suppose, to, to wrap things up. So the first one is um, for those who are kind of either early, more early in their career and maybe exploring additive, um, maybe even looking to, Think about moving into into the space. Um, what piece of advice would you give someone that um, is trying to either learn more about the industry or trying to get kind of an initial foothold?
1: I would say this: there are, there are mountains and mountains of resource out there. You know, lots of um, trade trade media, trade press, podcasts, as, you, as you, um as we're here um to listen to to really educate. But I also believe that getting out to the shows, um, you know, we've got next coming up, um, and then you've got the the regional shows. I think, you know, we were counting, you could probably go to a show every week of the year. There's that many. There is. <laughs> it man. Really is it's crazy. Really, yeah, it's madness. Um so and it's moving so fast you know, the industry with, with developments and M&As and all, all sorts. So I, I would say, you know, just immerse yourself, do plenty of reading. But also we, we need to to be realistic in terms of, of when to use additive. You know, we are from, you know, the sort of era of traditional manufacturing. And if you can manufacture it traditionally at a cheaper cost, let's do so um i believe you know it, it, it's a complementary technology um to say injection molding i have a very balanced view of both technologies um so i think yeah fantastic the hot you know it is that there's so much hype around it um but yeah let, let's take a balanced view of it for sure so last question um again more of a fun one um
0: What's a uh, favorite book or a book you'd like to uh, kind of go back to and and reference as something that you've taken a lot away from? I'm trying to compile a list of all the the books that we have as favorite books from from our guests as a kind of thing we'll post up on 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 the website at some point.
1: Oh, that, that, that's quite a tricky one. Um, I'm re- I might be being quite sad here. You know, Mike. I am currently reading a book called. Um, Drink tea and read the paper. Okay. And this is this is a book. Um, it's a really, really frank to the point book about around about SP, about statistical process control and how to apply it to your business. I'm reading it at the moment because um, I, looking at like six sigma approaches for and how we can apply that to our additive area uh, for serial mass production. So I would say. It's a non, no nonsense approach to, to the subject. I would encourage people to have a read of that as well.
0: Awesome. Good stuff. Well, Mark, thank you so much for, for joining the show today. Um, look forward to seeing you out in Form next in a few weeks. And uh, yeah, good luck with all the stuff that you got going on. Yeah, thank you.